Welcome to the Invino Fab podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Patrice. Invino Fabulum means in wine story. And there are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life and their communities, paired with wine, of course. The Invino Fab pod is a place to learn and a space to share stories about work, interests, passion projects, issues, and random wine facts. Hello, Invino listeners. We're so thrilled to have you here. One of our first interviews of 2021. Alyssa Lapanga joins us. She's a multi-potentialite who spent the better half of a decade living with her family on college campuses in Southern California as a student affairs professional before transitioning geographically to the Midwest and professionally to the world of software startups. Alyssa has achieved honorary geek status in that she enjoys superhero mutant zombie movies and can tell a hobbit from a horcrux but has never actually played Dungeons and Dragons. According to her 11 and 6-year-olds, Alyssa spends much of her spare time and energy looking for ways to ruin their fun and publicly embarrass them, which is great, usually under the guise of helping them become thoughtful, contributing members of society. I'm so excited for you to hear this interview. I know that we recorded this in late 2020, uh, but I'm really looking forward to having you hear what Alyssa has to say about her work in life and startups and what it means to potentially pivot during a pandemic in your career and the work you do. Well, welcome to the InVinoFab pod, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. How are you doing, Laura? Doing well. I'm uh, so excited to chat with you, uh, getting to know you, and I've read your bio, but and I've learned a little bit about you, but what's a little known fact that uh, listeners maybe can't find out about you from what I've shared so far? Um, little known fact, I think it's people tend to find this interesting, maybe more interesting in the Midwest where I live now than, than in other places I've lived, but... My uh, my partner and I, Dan, have an arrangement where for the past like 15 years, he has been the full-time parent, full-time manager of our household. And I've done grad school and work, you know, various, various jobs and throughout my career. And that, that even though it shouldn't be unique, even in a place like Los Angeles where we lived, people found it unique and, uh, and a little bit different. So I think we kind of bring a unique perspective to parenting and gender roles and and, uh, and and working in partnership together like that, but I think that's amazing. I can we have, can we borrow Dan? Maybe I we each, <laughs> like, I, ironically I don't have children, but I feel like we need a parent like Dan. Um, no, <laughs> I'm great at it. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I think um, as much as people say there are a lot more um, in, in like heterosexual relationships, there's a lot more men that are stepping up. It's not always that partnership you mentioned it's not equivalent so it sounds like you have really struck the balance between what that looks like in your home yeah if anything I need to figure out how to contribute more I feel like we've almost gone too far in the other direction where um I'm kind of begging him like give me something to do I want to help I want to contribute and he's just got everything so locked down and systematized and well run I feel like if I jump in there I'm going to wreck the machine So sometimes I sometimes I feel like the clueless parent, you know, and just like I don't are we what are we doing right now? What's the schedule? What are we supposed to do? I, you know, I read stories and I'm so inspired by these women who um, you know, are kind of playing both roles and I don't think they should have to, but a lot of women end up doing that. You know, they're um amazing CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you know, during the day and then they come home at night and they're still making dinner and you know, doing child things and and uh and I admire that, but I also, I feel like that's not me at all. I feel like I'm, you know, the very spoiled kind of working parent who gets to focus on my career and come home and dinner's already made, you know? So even though I'm a full-time working woman, 
I, uh, I have to be careful about claiming that, you know, with an asterisk on the end and say, but, but don't picture me actually fulfilling all those other roles that women traditionally are, you know, expected to fill because I don't, I have an amazing partner who's doing all those things um, and hardly lets me help. <laughs> well, it's a fair call out that I, I think in going into part, true partnership, whatever your partnerships look like these days in the world, um, we don't talk about that kind of shared responsibility. And it doesn't mean you each take turns folding clothes. It means I'm going to be the one that's making this uh, commitment to work so I can give us the life and living way, how we live kind of role. And we never talk about those. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think in certain relationships, um, people are like, well, I'm going to be the breadwinner. You're going to be doing this, or you're going to be expected to split time. And I don't know how people split time. So I'm a, I have a partner. We don't have children other one, other than ones with fur. And <laughs> I think to do things really well, you can't be, um, having all the burners on, on the stove is so to say. And I think it's really cool to hear that you've struck that kind of balance um, and said, I, I need you to like step up in this area or I got to focus instead of saying, assumed the roles of, well, should I be doing more? And like, no, you're doing your job. You're going to work. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah and he's awesome about affirming that for me. I think I still fight against those kind of societal pressures or implications that I'm supposed to be doing these things as mom and he's reminding me, he's like, you're doing your job. You're, you're, you're doing what our family needs and I'm doing this job. So it works like, out, but it's interesting how often we have to fight against it in our heads. <laughs> yeah. And I think the term being a mom, it means so much different now than what we thought of maybe growing up. Um, I was thinking about like experiences and um, Alyssa and I kind of do some side things uh, for our own interest and fun. We both a coach or faculty coaches for this other group. And that's how I know her. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting because I always saw you as until we started talking before the podcast, I always saw you as like, <laughs> the consultant and you're in a consulting role. And now I know why, because you do training and learning stuff. You have done that along your career path. Um, you've dipped in and helped people out and you've developed things to help them learn and grow and train better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I am drawn to that. Honestly, like every, every job I think I've been in, even though very few of them have been formal learning and development positions. I love finding those opportunities um, mostly I think it stems from just a, a part of me that loves to improve systems, loves to make things work better, right? I'm a constant improver, probably partly because I, I spend a lot of my career in uh, higher ed and nonprofits where you're overworked and under-resourced and you just need to make things happen. You know this, you've come, you know, you've come from higher ed, you were, you were in res life. Um, these are the places where you learn so many different skills because you just have to make it work, right? And part of that is break down the barriers, right? What's getting in the way? And a lot of the time, what's getting in the way is people are lacking a skill or lacking an opportunity to learn, to grow, to develop in a certain area. And then how can we give that to them, right? Because that's going to get all of us farther along uh, on the team. So I think that's what draws me into those, those opportunities. And I've gotten, to, I've gotten to do it in a lot of different ways. It's been, um, it's been fascinating. Everything from, you know, working for, with these amazing, talented students at UCLA, 
to um, to working with adult learners, trying to figure out a, a new software platform, to working with adults impacted by disability who are learning new communication methods, you know, and trying to figure out how can we um, how can we help get what's in your head out into the world um, because your body's just not cooperating with you and it's not going to you know communicate in ways that people traditionally understand. So I feel really lucky that I've gotten to do all those things, and I think even though I don't have all the um, necessarily those formal experiences, I, uh, I always seek them out, you know, in my work. It's like, how can I, how can I help us break down barriers? How can I help um, make things accessible to people so that everyone can be successful and we can all move forward? When did you discover um, kind of your systems thinking? Like, cause it sounds like you've applied that to a few different roles and kind of pathways in your career. So I wonder what, what kind of tr- sparked that interest early on in your career? Um, probably a lack of patience. (laughs) (laughs) To be be honest, I want it to come from a really beautiful altruistic place and it doesn't. I think it comes from, from a lack of patience. You know, things should work. (laughs) And when they don't work, I want to fix them. Um, now I will say I'm patient with people, but when it comes to systems, things that have been designed, you know, that have been intentionally installed, um, those should work, right? And those should work well. So if, if we have control over those things, then we should fix them. Um, so I, I've worked at a lot of different organizations where um, it just tends to be the role I, I fall into. Regardless of what I was hired to do, I'm going to find the, the, the bumps in the road and I'm going to try to smooth them out because, again, everybody needs to move forward, right? Forward momentum is the goal. And if we're not moving forward uh, because of something blocking us or if we're moving forward more slowly or awkwardly than we should, then let's figure out how to, how to improve that. Right. Mm-hmm. Not just, yeah, not just for the sake of doing things better or faster, but because then we can learn, we can grow, we can put our energy and attention on things that really matter. Right. Not, not on the things that are holding us back. Yeah. I, I've been struck with thinking about systems and systemic things as of late. Um, so we're talking now and recording this end of November, um, 2020 has been a big year and we've seen pressure on the systems we live in and mm-hmm. those get left behind. And I'm reminded, um, Dean, uh, Dory Tunstall out of OCAD, she's at, um, in Toronto. She's a, speaks about design and sometimes how we design these systems leave people behind. And I know that you've worked with thinking about access, accessibility with folks to who's kind of disenfranchised. And I, I'm wondering about, as we move forward, how do we include those other folks that um, maybe always always aren't at the center table of the conversation? Um, how do they impact how you're kind of thinking about um, that, removing the blockers, I guess, in the system to get them to move forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the things I'm learning and have learned along the way is that people who are going to be impacted by the systems we're developing need to be at the table as early as possible in the process, right, of designing it. Because otherwise, what are we doing? Um, we cannot possibly assume that we can, we can experience the world as they do and that we understand where they're coming from. Um, they need to be in the room, they need to be at the table, they need to at least be influencing, you know, the design and implementation of whatever system we're talking about um, to make sure that it is going to work for the largest number of people. And then, you know, I think we also have to to be flexible about our systems, not to, you know, higher ed was a classic place for this, right? Higher ed loves to install a system and then never touch it again. <laughs> it's like it is now sacred. This is the system. This is the way we do it. Um, and we're, we're not going to not going to change it. 
Um, but we need to be agile about that. We need to be iterative in our systems, um, in our processes. If it's not working, check in, fix it, right? Let's, let's redesign, redevelop as we go. And, and if we don't have the right, if we didn't have the right voices in the, in the process when we started, get them involved, get those people at the table. Um, we just don't, today with communication being as easy as it is and with, um, you know, with so many networks and things that we can reach out to, there's absolutely no reason we shouldn't have those people at the table. Yeah, and I always think of it as um, it's not a failure to call out and point out your flaws and point out these um, injustices and these mm-hmm. inequities. Like, why do we recognize that we've trucked along for this while without doing that work? And um, I, I'm grateful for you to think, as you thought, as you said the word agile, I was like, I don't know, um, coming from higher ed, how agile these our campuses will be out there in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and without that, I worry about them like, them sustaining beyond what they think this is how it is we're going to return back to quote normal hate that word end quote um i don't think it's going to be a normal because what was before needs some fixing and i hope this gives some people some space and time to think about it more yeah we have such a great opportunity i was really hoping that at the beginning of the shutdown you know when everything kind of horrible word shutdown right but when everything was just slowing down shutting down I thought, wow, what an amazing opportunity we have when there are not as many demands on us where we could maybe solve some of these problems, right? Get really creative. And I think we have, to some extent, we've at least identified what some of those problems are that got us here um, and, and some that have kept us here. But, but I don't think we've been as creative as we could be, probably because so much of, of um, what we do exists in these large, very um, unflexible kind of systems. I always, I always picture you know, higher education and, you know, some of our government institutions like these gigantic aircraft carriers, you know, on the ocean. And it is really hard to turn them. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy and a lot of time to get them onto a different course. Whereas, you know, these wonderful new startups and and younger agile organizations are these great little zippy speedboats that can just, you know, turn on a dime and, and respond to things. How do we I'm curious about, and I have no, I don't know the answer for it, but how do we get those huge institutions that have so much power and so much influence on us? How do we get them more agile? How do we get them to start responding like that? And I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah, I hope it does come from a, I'm a, I'm a grassroots groundswell kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, I do hope it comes from the people that are probably on the front lines of this work. And that's the, mm-hmm. the learners. Um, I w- I'm always a big proponent. The biggest voice at the table should always be students for higher ed. And so I think about right now, who are my, I, I have to talk about customers because I'm in a corporate now, but my mm-hmm. customers, I really want to know uh, the ones that I'm training and supporting. I want to know what they're doing. And it's not easy to pivot and change, like you said, um, for institutions. And in that same mindset, um, I know you and I both have experienced kind of career pivots in the last year or so, and they're not always easy and they're not always comfortable and they're really awkward. And mm-hmm. uh, you might say like me, I don't know what I'm doing on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you thinking about these kind of changes as an individual? Because I know you've had some of that in your own life. Yeah. So I, my job actually changed during, as a result of the pandemic, um, I was doing um, learning and development work at this software company that I work for and had a really good time, you know, getting to design some learning systems and programs and interfacing with customers, you know, figuring out how do we, how do we help them use this software well and, and understand um, the data structures behind it. And then um, 
when when the pandemic happened and when they had to downsize some things, they uh, they allowed me to move into thankfully into a marketing role. Um, so that's been a good thing in that I got to stay with the same company, a company that I really enjoy, and people I love working with. Um, but it's I think it's it is hard. It is hard to pivot like that because. Um, there are sometimes there's some parts of it where you feel like, gosh, I didn't really have a lot of choice in this. You know, I didn't get to choose my my next step. And if nothing, we all want agency over our lives, right? If nothing else. Um, so that part's hard. And of course, it, it kind of calls into question, well, how long is this pivot going to last? How long am I in this role? Um, I mean, I'm happy at work, honestly, if I'm if I'm doing work that's going to mean something that's contributing to the team's success, I'm usually happy. I don't really mind so much what my title is or, or, um, you know, necessarily what's my five-year plan, but, um, but it is challenging. It does take a lot of, a lot of mental agility and it takes letting go of kind of what you thought you were doing and what you thought you might be doing in the next year. Um, so it takes some of that flexibility and a lot of, uh, I think just humility, <laughs> you know, to say, Hey, grace with yourself, gracious, being gracious with yourself and saying, this is, this is what has been put in front of you and, and go forward, right? Keep walking, yeah. even though the path has changed. Yeah. And I, it's, it's funny. I, I can attest and share with our listeners that like I did make a big jump to something else and I, they, I've get asked if, do I like what I'm doing? And I was like, I don't know. And I don't know if this is the role for me or, but I think um, you're at a startup and I'm in a, a company that thinks you're like a startup um, <laughs> where they want you to know, do you like the people that are working around you? And um, I, one thing I could say about the unknowns when you pivot really quickly to something else by choice or not, um, do you have the people around you to support you? And so I think about um, those teams and the people that I directly report to and work with. Um, and so um, that for me, that's been kind of one way of going, I just still don't know what I'm doing, but I'm surrounded <laughs> by people that I can ask and find support from. And I don't know how what that that's like been for you because I think our our companies are two that are trying to be agile in this changing climate. Yeah, you know, I would say a huge part of me even saying yes to the opportunity to continue and to go into the other role, even though marketing is not my you know my dream of my career. Um, a huge part of it was absolutely the people I work with. Um, they are fantastic and brilliant and fun and um, and have a really great kind of family atmosphere. Um, about the company that I've always appreciated, you know, that drew me right back in when I when I had the chance to do it. So it does absolutely make a difference. Um, and I also that in other companies as well. When a company goes through, and I think a lot of you know companies are doing this right now. I think when an organization goes through a tough time, and their leaders can show up and care for their people and say, "Yes, profits matter. Yes, obviously production matters," but you are our people and we, we care about you as much as we care about um, those things because obviously we won't have those things without you, without our people. Um, when they can show up though and, and really, really um, treat you like a human being and, and respect what you're bringing to the table, um, that makes all the difference, right? I agree. Not to be a number. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And I think that's what I've seen in this pandemic is being aligned when your values aligned with that and the orgs and the people you work, it's, it is culture. It is um, knowing that they've got your back. It is understanding that, Hey, this isn't a forever, but stay with us. Cause we, we want to. And it sounds, it's really cool that um, even like as we shift into whatever and your company did this for you is we'd like you still to be here. 
can you do this? Because we want you still part of our team. I think that's a cool feeling. Yeah, no, absolutely. So over your kind of work career, it's been fun to hear like things that you've brought in from uh, your res life. And I know that you moved from, I call it the Mitten, the Michigan, that you went out to LA and went back to the Mitten. Um, uh, You did an interesting thing where I think you took like, think res life never leaves you um you essentially did a res lifey thing in la um and i would love for you to share a little bit about that project uh experience that movement essentially what you did because i was really impressed that you started like a halfway house a support network for women yeah yeah so it was one of those weird things that developed over years and i mean like 12 to 15 years Um, back when I was, uh, just coming out of undergrad and I had majored in theater and I had decided not to pursue it professionally myself. I was like, I do not love it that much. (laughs) I I need to love it a lot more than this if I'm going to pursue it professionally, but I loved the people and I I stayed in touch with a lot of them. And I saw many people, um, go out from, you know, this little Midwestern college that we graduated from and go to bigger cities and try to pursue professional, you know, acting careers or directing or, or, or producing. And I saw them sometimes struggle, you know, sometimes they ran into um, lack of community. Their families didn't often understand what they were doing. They're like, no, please come back and get a real job so you can have insurance and, and these, you know, things that their families want for them. Um, So they were often without family support. They were often in a new city uh, without community and and would really struggle. And then kind of starting to think about that and delving into it again. um, How do we move people forward? How do we, you know, fix the thing that's blocking, right? My husband and I um, started to dream about, well, what if what if there were a landing space for them? What if their first, you know, three months, six months, whatever in this new city, they had a really supportive environment, people who would welcome them and help them get acclimated and and just be, a, you know, a spot to adjust and to figure out, do I even want to be in this huge city? Do I want to be in this industry? Um, to kind of have a, a trial period, as it were, I guess, in that new place where they didn't have to go all in, sign a year's lease. Um, you know, and make a big decision. So we, we dreamed about it for years. We kind of bring it up every now and then every dinner talking. Um, and it would just, it just became this kind of vision that we had. And we were like, yeah, yeah, someday we really ought to do that. And then I decided to go to grad school for higher education. And uh, one of the programs I was looking at was at UCLA in Los Angeles. And we were like, hey, they've got some of those people we've been talking about serving. Um, this might be the opportunity we need. So while we were in LA, um, I did Res Life. So we lived on campus for several, for the first probably five years. And then as my job evolved and I got into academic administration and we had a chance to move off campus, we decided this is it. This is our opportunity. So we found a house. We rented a house um, in West LA. And over the course of about two years that we did it, we had 20 different women uh, live with us at various times. We could have up to four. The house allowed for up to four people to live with us. We had two kids by that time. So it was kind of this big communal, you know, fun living experience, very much Res Life 2.0. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was a really great experience. Like like with any community, obviously there were ups and downs, but um, but it taught us a ton, you know, about living together and about how to support people. And uh, And we saw a lot of women come in find roommates, move out, you know, find their space. And some women came in, did the LA thing for six months and said, wow, I hate this. <laughs> this is horrible. And they, you know, they moved on to something else. So yeah, it was, it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. 
I think that's such a cool way to say that I, I do think when you grow up and if you've worked in higher ed or you've worked and lived in residence life, you do find community. So like transplanting that to something else and supporting people in their early careers, like early career professionals in anything struggle. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but Hollywood to me seems so foreign because we didn't talk about showrunners or producers or writer guilds and like mm-hmm. no one really knew about those things until more recently. And so having a, um, a spot to be a secure, safe place is probably really critical for, especially women. Um, mm-hmm. I can only imagine. So what was something that you kind of, uh, now that you're not there anymore, uh, what did you learn from that experience that you're kind of taking away or that you, that you kind of miss these days? Um, well, one of the things I, I think one of the, maybe it was a foreshadowing thing in our lives, but one of the things that it really helped us um, with was when we decided to move back to Michigan uh, we ended up living with my parents for about seven months because we didn't know yet where we wanted to live in the area and we weren't sure where, you know, what direction we were heading. Um, and uh, so we got to do community again uh, without expecting it. But having just had that experience, you know, living with lots of different people, we were really good roommates to my parents and they appreciated that very much. Um, we didn't do a roommate contract as you always should, you know, in, in our res life days, but, but pretty much did. We had the talk, you know, we had the conversation of this is what we need. This is what you need. How are we going to live well together? And they really appreciated that. Um, and, it, and it ended up going well for seven months, better than it probably should have. Um, so I, that, that's some, one of the pieces of learning, you know, that we took with us. Um, I think for sure. The things I miss about it, I think are just, um, and this is part of just being in, um, being in the pandemic times too, but I miss, I miss seeing people's stories evolve, you know, like having it happen right in your home where you'll run into people in the kitchen and get to hear the story of their day and, and how they just had this big breakthrough, you know, or, or they had a really, you know, disappointing audition, whatever it was, getting to experience those stories with people in such real time, um, in such vulnerable spaces was, was a gift, you know, that was a, that was a huge blessing in our lives. So I do miss that a bit because I think in the Midwest, people tend to be less transient. There's, um, there's maybe less comings and goings and people tend to really love their little fenced in property lines. (laughs) So you don't, you don't see as much commingling, um, of lives or as much, you know, just messiness kind of getting together, um, where we are now. So I think I miss that a bit. Yeah, I think um, we could probably take some lessons. P.S. If you don't have a roommate contract with any of your current cohabitants, uh, children, pets included, maybe this is the time, the pandemic, a uh, few, uh, like eight to nine months in or later. And ah. I think, um, yeah, I do miss the interaction. So as you get older, it's funny, um, you don't just have friends down the hall and that's residence life. Or if you've cohabited like you, so we didn't do uh, a makeshift house, but we used to do Airbnb where guest stayed in our house for like the past five years it is nice to have other people pop into your life and so that kind of uh regular experience whether it's living with or even working with popping the hallway we don't have those interactions that are the same unless we're being really intentional and safe from a distance um and doing that somewhere yeah i miss that too yeah Maybe we should offer that, Laura, as former Res Life professionals. We could, we could do some roommate mediations for people who are you know struggling what? in the ninth month of the pandemic. <laughs> I put it out there. We've got Zoom rooms, y'all, if you want to come yeah. in. Yeah. It's the state of, as, I call it the state of the union for couples. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's great. 
Yep, we could talk about it. We could talk about those dirty socks on the floor and how it's not really about the dirty socks. <laughs> it, it's true. There's so much more behind dirty that. Dirty socks are symbol. <laughs> I, I would agree. So in kind of what you're working on these days, um, it, both personally, professionally, what are some things that um, you're kind of learning from yourself? Are you, um, I don't know, in this pandemic, do you have time to pick up anything else now? Is it too hectic as you go? Um, are you taking anything else on to learn these days? Yeah, actually, um, when, so when the layoff happened back in July or when my job was, you know, transitioning, I had about a three week period before they figured out the marketing position where I was like, I don't know that I have a job. So I need to be out there looking at the market and what a terrible time to be doing. So it was very, very scary. Um, there, uh, I had always been interested in, um, you know, technology, software, I'd always loved leveraging it, you know, as an end user to try to figure out what what program, what application is going to help us uh, get this job done most quickly and the most efficiently. Um, but I was also really curious about the, the design aspect of it to think about how do you decide where that button goes? And how do you decide that this is the experience the user should have? So I actually, um, during that time, I applied for a front end bootcamp front-end design bootcamp. So I'm currently, and, and there was a fantastic scholarship opportunity available from the National Center for Women in Technology. And they were um, doing some regional programs in Michigan and I think Alabama. So just stumbled, you know, into this fantastic opportunity. And so now I'm involved in a front-end after-hours uh, bootcamp three nights a week where I'm learning to do HTML and CSS and JavaScript. And I'm learning all those, you know, behind the scenes things that I've always been curious about, which is doing wonders, you know, for my curiosity. And it's giving me a kind of forward motion, even though it feels like my career, I'm not sure where it's going, <laughs> you know, or, or what's next for me. Um, it's giving me opportunity to learn and it's giving me new, you know, a cohort to be in communication and a relationship with and people to people whose stories I get to interact with. So it's feeding my soul in huge ways and my brain as well um, in, in, in these times when the days kind of all run together. <laughs> you know, it's been really healthy. It's really cool. It sounds like a really good anchor to what <laughs> we don't have anchors in our life. So it sounds like something to like tie in and go back to. I like that. Um, what are you learning about um, your own lives in pandemic uh, that you didn't know before? Uh, so working and living um, that you could pass on to other people that if you had to give them some advice. Mm, advice from the pandemic. Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned, and I hope that we don't lose this, is that we were all way, way, way too scheduled before. There were far too many obligations and things that we just said yes to because we thought we were supposed to say yes. Um, things that became uh, typical, you know, in our day-to-day -day life, in our society that just were not necessary, you know? Um, In-person meetings, for one. Why are we all wasting 20, 30 minutes in each direction to go to a meeting in person when we could have just hopped on our computers in our pajamas for crying out loud. This is, this is a gift people <laughs> like keep it. There, there's good things to be in person too. But um, you know, if, if the, if the goal is just to have the conversation and you can do it from your pajamas in your living room, why would we not? Um, so I hope we cling to that gift. I really do. And I, I hope that when, when things start to open up again, I'm sure the extroverts will have their say about this too, but I hope we don't all just rush back into this, this way of overscheduling ourselves um, and, and overcommitting to things. I think I have loved having the excuse to say no. And I've loved um, just getting to capture time with my family. Um, we, we used to have stuff almost every weeknight, you know, either school or volunteer obligations or whatnot. 
And throughout the pandemic, we have sat on the couch and watched whole series on TV that we never would have watched. Um, we discuss, I discovered that my two boys who are 11 and 16 love the Great British Baking Show. Who knew? <laughs> when would we have stumbled upon this? But they are rooting for these people they will never meet in England, you know, to be champions of the baking tent. And, and it's fantastic. Um, those are all gifts, even though there have been a lot of hard things, too, I think, for everybody. And I, I don't discount that. There have been some really amazing gifts that if we can just notice them and hang on to them, I think it'll, it'll make a big difference in shaping what comes next. I like the deprogramming our programs or schedules. Yes, um, exactly. I think I think that's great. Are, are your boys baking now? Are they wanting to bake more? Are they like oh, we no. should do this now? <laughs> They're not that motivated, sadly. But I just put them <laughs> in charge of Thanksgiving dinner because not to cook, but to plan the menu um, because we're we're you know we're distancing this Thanksgiving, trying not to uh, expose anybody to ourselves or us to them. Um, so they they did plan the menu, and so we were having a very cl- eclectic array of sushi and chicken drumsticks and character macaroni and cheese and uh, mashed potatoes, I think still made it in there. And my husband and I are doing a, a vegan pesto pasta. So it's going to be the most unique Thanksgiving ever, but it's, it's one that's going to be full of joy. I love it. I, I sense a catering company in their future. Um, <laughs> so what are you kind of uh, working on these days besides the UX? Um, is there anything else that you're kind of hoping to develop in the future, in the future passion projects or things you'd like to get into besides our helpline for our, our <laughs> residence life uh, roommate helpline? Yes, this has to happen. Um, no, besides that, um, I kind of like having a, a bit of a blank slate right now. I'll be really honest. Um, I've never been someone with a five-year plan. I kind of look for opportunities to, to um, open themselves up to me and I, I go forward where it makes sense. But I don't have anything on the docket because I think I'm giving my permission, myself permission to just be and develop right now. Um, and I'm okay with that. I really am. I, I do have one opportunity coming up um, to be a member of a, a nonprofit board. And that's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. So when the boot camp is done, when you know things have calmed down a bit, I'm excited to step into that. Um, the organization that I'm, I'm getting involved with is very much about breaking down barriers. They, they give scholarships to families um, who need therapies for their kids who may be impacted by disability. And those therapies are very rarely covered by insurance. So they give scholarships to make those possible. And, and that too, it's about, you know, breaking down those barriers, getting things out of the way so that people can, can live their best, most full life. So I'm really excited about that, but that's, uh, that's probably six months down the road. I have no doubt they will be so grateful to have you on your board. And we could all learn. That was like a test for you. Like, why don't we take a pause and just do the thing in front of you instead mm-hmm. of moving to the next thing right away? I think that's brilliant. So stay in the now. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this, this podcast has a few kind of themes around story and wine. I was wondering if there's any sort of story that's resonating with you lately, um, whether it's a book, an article, or something you've seen that you want to share with our listeners. Um. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll tell, a, I'll tell a short story from my own life, if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been reading. <laughs> oh, you That's okay. We That's welcome your personal story. That's great. No, well, this, uh, you know, having just come off of this very intense political season um, and seeing a lot of the, just the intensity with which we have been expressing our, our thoughts and feelings around these things. Um, one, of the, one of the things I, I was doing pre-pandemic was volunteering 
for an organization that does, um, that helps people have hard conversations. So they come into organizations where they want there to be community, but community often doesn't happen because of disagreements ideologically, you know, what have you. We see this in churches, you see this in other organizations um, where they're, they're trying to have community, but community is hard. So um, I was doing a uh, kind of running a 10 week dialogue process around some particular social issues that this organization was working through. And uh, two women were coming from very opposite ends of the spectrum <laughs> on, on their beliefs. One was very conservative around this particular social issue. One was incredibly, was, was more liberal. And um, they came in the first day very hot and heavy, uh, expressing their opinions, just like we love to see, you know, the pundits do on, on these, these, you know, news media shows. And, uh, and they were very, very adamant in their, in their opinions, and their positions. And you could tell that they were, that there was damage being done there, you know, that they were, we, there, was, uh, there was hurt happening. And I worried for those two women. I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm not sure if we're going to, you know, get to the end of it. But... Um, the, the program worked well, I would say, and they showed up and kept coming and kept engaging in this dialogue process. And by, you know, about the seventh, eighth week, it was really amazing. Um, they actually, through no prompting of our own, they, they chose to say to each other uh, in, you know, in their own ways, when I, when I express my belief about this thing, which hasn't necessarily changed, but when I express my belief about this the way I typically do, I see how it hurts you. I see how that impacts you and, and how it sounds to you, you know, how that, what you're hearing. And, and I need to do better at how I express myself. I need to remember your humanity when I'm, when I'm saying these things. And I need to, if this is my belief and if this is not a belief I'm moving off of, then I need to find a way to express it that allows us to still be in a relationship. And that floored me and it really inspired me. I was like, man, I don't know if, if I'm mature enough to get to that place around some of the things I feel passionate about. Um, and it gave me hope, I would say. It really gave me hope. And I tried to kind of cling to that when, when the whole election process was happening and, and people were getting very um, angry with one another online and, and in different venues. Because when it comes right down to it, you know, community is possible even with different beliefs. Like we don't have to believe the same thing. I know this sounds very elementary, but, but it's something that we haven't gotten yet, right? As a society that we all, we all need to go back to kindergarten for, but we can have this, we can have different beliefs and different perspectives and, and still have relationship with one another, right? We just need to be mindful about how we're communicating it and really listen for, for the story, for the humanity in the other person. And, and I hope I hope that we can learn how to do that better, you know, like these two women who are my heroes now. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I think this isn't, um, we, we're situated in the U.S., we have listeners around the world. This populist movement and bipolarity of issues and ideas and idealisms is impacting most countries. And I, I think um, humanity and being humane with one another and listening to them, I think is really powerful. So thank you for that reminder in that story I, it brings me hope as well and it maybe inspires some of us to think more about how we're showing up in that way yeah and uh, you know it, it's one thing to this whole kind of cancel culture that has happened right it's one thing to to stop being involved with things that you don't believe in great you know if something is should not be supported absolutely don't support it but we started canceling each other and that part I don't get 
Um, that part I really don't get. Obviously, we shouldn't be in relationship with people who are harmful to us, and we, and we need to have boundaries. But at the same time, I think we've gotten a little bit too too liberal <laughs> with using that, you know, with canceling people, um, unfriending or unfollowing or what have you. It's like let's let's not give up on each other. There's there's goodness there still, even though even though we're going to disagree and we're going to have issues. There there can be some goodness there, and I, I want us to to get better at bringing that out in each other. Yeah, I think there's power in having the conversation and um, mm-hmm. extending uh, a handout to people that live a different life, walk a different life, and believe, have different beliefs, um, and just understanding like their why and how and what about them. Yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah. Um, when you are thinking about sitting down and uh, let's say we could be social again, uh, if we could have a, a beverage, is there a certain wine or drink of choice you'd have that you like to just kick back with family or friends? Mm, well, if it's, if it has to be wine, then I typically go for the dessert wines. I really love a good Moscato Dosti, you know, a little bit what? of sparkle, a little bit of sweetness just, just makes me happy. I've never learned how to like red wine. I'm very, very much in like, you know, first grade when it comes to wine. <laughs> I'm giving my Capri Sun version. <laughs> we all have a different palate, so that's fine. Yeah. Is there, um, so it's funny, I grew up in the land of ice wine in Canada, um, and Germany is another big area that we've mm-hmm. talked about and wines on this one. Is there certain desserts, like it is the Moscato one that you're thinking of? Yeah, I like Moscato Dosties. Yeah, a little sparkle to it and kind of free. They tend to be good. Um, but if we're just going into the pub or something like that, then I'm probably going to be a cider gal, you know? Give me a pint of a good cider and, and I'm pretty happy. I like cider. So good. Excellent. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, I was wondering if you could share something that's bringing you joy right now. Let's make you laugh, smile, and enjoy life these days. Oh, gosh. The, um, we've, we've, like I said, you know, it's, it's going to be very unevolved sounding, but we've, we've been discovering some really great things on like Netflix and, and, uh, <laughs> and Prime Video. I um I'm watching the I'm watching this show Dairy Girls right now, and I don't know if you've watched it. I have. Yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's hilarious. The characters are very dear. The it's it's giving me insight into the you know the troubles in Ireland that I've never um really delved into before too much other than knowing the overview of it. So uh, we've really enjoyed that. We're, you know, we've got Wikipedia at the ready whenever something comes up, you know, contextually in the show that we're able to dive into it and learn a little bit more about that. Um, but yeah, that makes me that makes me very joyful. And on that, I'm going to make one more plug for uh, the show Ted Lasso on Apple TV. Have you gotten to see this? I haven't. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard good things. I heard Brene Brown talk joy. with him. Uh, so yes, yeah gave me such joy it really did i i just wanted to spend much more time with those characters especially the main character than i got to so that's yeah that's i mean that's a very pandemic-y answer but <laughs> i'm getting joy from from tv series right now i think that's and great i'm getting to spend more time with my family you know just being home i love being home you guys are getting cozy and snuggling yeah. in. I love it. Um, yeah, the Dairy Girls. So I did watch it. I don't know how far along you are, but uh, I, I have a fact. One, so. Are you finished? Okay. Season just, one? No, just you're up season one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you haven't hit the rock the boat yet? I don't think so. Okay. Mm. We'll talk about that one later then. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. No, I have, I have a point of reference where I just pause and ask my partner who's from Ireland, uh-huh. is it true? Did this actually happen? So uh, we do that a lot with Canadian and Irish shows. Okay. So we can verify that these actually happened in our culture. Um, 
Cool. I will put those two recommendations in. And uh, Ted Lasso is one I, I heard it's really funny and clever. It's really well done. Yeah, it's really, really well done. Cool. And it gives you hope for humanity too, I think. Yeah, there's, it's around the a fake soccer team, uh, football, if you're from outside the pond. And uh, <laughs> I just think uh, Jason Sudeikis is the, is the lead, right? He's the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard about an interview with Brene Brown on the, her podcast. And I was like, okay, I need to tune in because she's a big fan of it too. And uh, the leadership qualities got brought out. And I was like, really? This should be funny. Yeah. No, it, it actually is great. His leadership style is fantastic. I want him to supervise every team I'm on from now on, from here on out. I really do. See, we can learn from Ted Lasso. I like we it. Could. Yep. We'll have to. So you watch Ted Lasso and then we'll come back and do a follow-up and we'll, we'll deconstruct that from the, the leadership. I love it. We have shorties for shorty podcast for this reason. So we will definitely just talk about our TV then. Great. Um, Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We are so grateful. We'll link to ways that people can connect with you, reach out to you, especially if they have that roommate problem. Maybe you have a future podcast in your own. There you go. I love that. I love that. We're just going to bring you on. We're going to deconstruct it right there in the moment. And if we need to, we're going to type up the contract and then it's all going to be beautiful. We'll work it out. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining. I've enjoyed this conversation with you today. I have loved it. Thank you so much for having me. This is my very first podcast. So it was, it was a joy and a treat. Thanks for guiding me down the path. To catch the next episode, be sure to subscribe to In Vino Fab wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at In Vino Fab and we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet, private message, or email at invinofabulum at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>